Hello, you guys. Thank you for joining The Dad Presents. We're here every week trying our best to spread love and liberty, and I hope you're all doing well. This podcast is brought to you by sheathunderwear.com. Use the code word DAD for 20% off. These underwear are guaranteed, fellas, to make you less ugly and make 25-year-old women want to sleep with your ugly ass. In fact, if you put on a pair of these underwear and you don't get it in seven days, if you don't get it, the founder of the company will give you your money back or something like that. This podcast is also brought to you by the Expat Money Show podcast and the expatmoneyshow.com. It's the best podcast for travel and money advice on the internet and more great libertarian takes like this show. And finally, guys, we're now on YouTube somewhere. I still don't know the, the, I don't have the URL committed to memory, but you can find this show by searching The Dad Presents and our latest guest, who is Justin O'Donnell, and he's going to be blowing your minds in about 15 minutes with libertarian dime pieces. But first, uh, you know, just to check in with you guys, because it's been more than two weeks, because we were out of the country. You all know we were just in Panama. Um, and, you know, before I left, I told you guys the purpose of the trip is we were considering expatriating and, and moving there. Um, but really, that was just my super top secret undercover plan to get the bride into a third world country where I could easily have her off and come home with a new younger mommy. Because yes, a whole ass horse fell on the bride. Now you might ask yourselves, why did I put, why did that guy put his wife on a malnourished and clearly obviously abused horse that would almost certainly fall on her and possibly maim her? Well, let me tell you, this trip two weeks started disastrously, just awful. Could not have been worse. We spent the first four days sitting in immigration in Panama because we're trying to get our, our visa there. So in immigration, eight hours a day, masked, face shield, mandatory. And the AC in this place set to subarctic temperatures. And the four of us, were just wearing beach gear because number one, we thought we were going to be in there for about an hour. And number two, we thought we were going to a country that sits on the equator in summertime. Didn't know we were going to Antarctica. Didn't know it, but that's where we were. So four days of that. Then we go to a resort to check out a town that we were considering moving to. And we needed a win. So the bride chose a resort. I'm not a fan of resorts, but she chose one with this awesome water slide that the kids could ride down this water slide. It looked like a, like a five-minute ride into a pool. Paid for it. Boom. We're there. Guess what? Slide is closed for renovations. Not on the internet. They don't tell you till you get there and pay. Wasn't one white person there. That's fine. I don't need white people. But not one person there spoke English. Less fine because none of us spoke Spanish. And it was one of those all-inclusives, which I hate because then you got to eat their food and drink their booze. And I had to get my money's worth out of it in alcohol. But the alcohol was like the most low-rent garbage in the history of alcohol. It was basically like jungle juice like you'd have in college or moonshine like my West Virginia buddy used to make in his backyard. It was like that, but worse and more potent. And I work. I woke up the next day with the worst hangover that any human has ever had. Like you've seen a hangover. It was like that, but worse. And I poo-pooed the next morning and a dead jungle baby came out of my butt. Yeah, I drank so much bad tequila. I think it was tequila. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I drank so much bad alcohol that it got me Panama pregnant in my butt 
with a dead Panamanian monkey. It it was it was terrible. It was awful. So we spent, I don't know, two, three days there. Terrible. Then we took off. We went to this beautiful mountain town called El Valle, where we were considering uh, moving ahead of time. Like we, we had, we had picked out three or four spots that we wanted to explore to consider moving. And, and the conditions are, you know, it's got to be a, a beautiful, it's got to be affordable. There's got to be some expats. There's got to be a school. Um, well, number one on the way there, Maddie boy here gets pulled over for speeding. Typical. Um, you know how much I love government overreach. But guess what? Cop doesn't speak English. And guess what? He wants my passport. But guess what? My passport's still in immigration. I can't communicate that to the cop because no English. So let's just slip him a $100 bill and hope he doesn't throw me in prison for bribing a cop in Panama. That worked cool. So, okay, cool. Panama's a little bit like Mexico. Cool. I like a government you can bribe. Um, so on to El Valle and guess what? No school. Nope. No school for 45 minutes in 45 minute drive in any direction. No school permanently closed. So that wasn't true. So obviously we can't move to this town. So it's a waste of time, but okay, let's make it fun. So we find this joint to go waterfall repelling the kid. We knew the kids would love it. You know, rappelling down a waterfall? Are you kidding me? We're finally going to get a win on this trip. It's going to be amazing. But guess what? Town's on lockdown for Corona. No, not Panama. Not not the whole country. The town. The town of El Valle. Not population 900. Locked down. Police on all the exits and the entrances. Everything closed. Is it permanently closed down? Nope. Just coincidentally, for the three-day weekend while we're there, Friday through Sunday, they are locked down. Yeah, it's like, it's like they knew we were coming. No repelling, no hiking, no waterfalls, no eating out, just sitting in our room. So what can we do for three days while we're here? Well, uh, we can sit in the room. We can swim in the pool in the rain because it's raining all three days. Or we can go look at the super awesome house we found up in the mountains that we might buy, but obviously we're not going to buy it because this town sucks and there's no school, but let's go look at it anyway. Oh, let me get my shitty car with bald tires stuck at the top of the mountain in a ditch where I have no phone and don't speak the language. So I'll just stand here on top of the mountain flailing my arms for an hour and tell my wife to show her boobs and hope someone comes to rescue us. And luckily, they did. Luckily, we got rescued. Otherwise, we'd still be on top of that mountain. So to answer your question, after all of that, the only option we could find in that town was to go horseback riding on four malnourished, clearly abused horses. Uh, we needed a win. So I said, let's do it against my better judgment. I have a bad horse history. In college, I got on a horse for the first time ever at my buddy's farm. Uh, he didn't tell me the horse was a race horse and then it had not been broken and I was very drunk and the horse did not have a uh, saddle and I got on it and they shot a gun. The horse took off. I got thrown off, broke my neck, dislocated my shoulder, broke my wrist. Um, so that's my horse history. And after all that, yeah, I put my wife on a horse, horse stepped in a ditch, fell over on her. Boom. She might be dead. Let's get over there. Oh, I can't get over there. Cause my horse won't budge. Jump off the horse, run over to her. She's not dead, but might've torn up her knee. Rest of vacation, probably ruined. Might be coming home with a new mommy. 
But she survived it. She's a tough girl. She survived it. And you know what? She really sucked it up. She didn't complain that much. She didn't give me grief. She handled it really well. And after that, we went on to the islands. And I got to tell you, the islands, we spent almost a week there. They were magical. And we're going back in January to explore moving to the islands even more. It might be the move for us. Or it could just be that the islands were just okay, but compared to the rest of the trip, we thought they were magnificent. So what else is going on? What's going on in the world? You know, one, one cool thing about being gone is no, no TV, didn't watch any TV. Um, I really didn't um, get on Facebook that much other than to update people about the vacation. So I, I kind of didn't know what was going on. I mean, there was, there was some like uh, Latin CNN on in, in public places we were in. But again, I don't, I don't speak Spanish, but you could just see by the hysteria of it. They're pumping out the same propagandist, centralized nonsense they're pumping out here everywhere. And people in Panama were as paranoid, if not more paranoid, than America about this disease. It's a, it's a global disinformation campaign. But anyway, so what did we learn the last couple of weeks while Matty Boy was gone? We learned that the vaccine doesn't prevent you from passing it on to others. What? It also doesn't prevent you from getting it. What? But the theory is that it prevents you from getting as sick as you would if you didn't get the vaccine, even though there's no awesome data to support this. So now, surprise, surprise, Moderna and Pfizer are recommending a third booster shot and everybody's got to wear masks again. So you might recall in March of last year on this very podcast, uh, more than a year ago, you heard that COVID would be with us forever and ever and ever until we die, amen, and that every year you'd need a booster, just like the flu. Now, am I Nostradamus? Mm. Am I an oracle? No, no, I'm not. Am I a genius? Well, I mean, humble old me doesn't think so, but Mensa organization might disagree with you. So I don't know, whatever. Probably not. Nope, probably not. But look, here's how I knew this. Here's how I knew it. Viruses, just like every other living organism in the world, they evolve. And viruses are super simple organisms. They're not as complex as humans, so they can, they can evolve and change and mutate much faster. And while the media is out there spreading nonsense about how the Delta is much more transmissible and also more deadly, it's likely only half of that is true. I, I mean, I can't prove it. But that's probably the case. Viruses always become more transmissible when they evolve, but less deadly. Because the deadlier a virus is to the host, this is just, this is just virology 101. If the virus kills the host, then it's less likely to live and pass on its genetics and mutate. To pass on its genetics and mutate, it has to keep its host alive so its host can walk around town and kiss strangers and sneeze on people and whatnot. Hence the common cold, hence the flu, right? If the, if the disease becomes super deadly, everybody dies and then the virus dies as well. So this virus in all likelihood is going to mutate every year and just like the flu, you're going to need a new vaccine every year. Unlike the flu, 
they're going to mandate this one. Because even though you can still pass it on, even though you can still get it, even though you can still die, even though it's not approved by the FDA, and even though there's plenty of risk associated with the vaccine, and even though there's other things you can do to keep yourself from getting it, like exercising and getting vitamin D and certain drugs that I'm not going to mention because I don't want to get banned. Despite all that, they're going to mandate the vaccine. And most of the people I know are cheering this on. Just cheering it on. Woo! Mandates! Bring the mandates! Completely oblivious of the dangers of handing more and more power and authority over to the government and giving up more and more of your own autonomy. But, I mean... Look, man, if you don't get it by now that giving the government authority over what they can, what, what to do with your body, if you don't get by now that this is dangerous for society, then I'm not going to convince you and I'm not going to waste my time and energy. I mean, I've changed in the last year a few people's minds. I know this for a fact. Uh, somebody very close to me, I've changed their mind and I'm, I'm happy about that. But for the most part, I've just irritated people. So I'm not going to keep doing it. I'm not going to keep doing it. And look, you know, a question I've been asked repeatedly by friends, do you think you're smarter than Anthony Fauci? And no, I don't. I don't think I'm smarter than him. I think he's brilliant. But I know I'm smart enough to recognize when I'm being lied to repeatedly over and over and manipulated because that's happened to me a lot in my life. And it took me a long time to catch on to the fact that some people are liars and people in power abuse their power. But I want you. And here's my, que- my question for, for, for the Fauchinator, right? Just, just ponder this, all you ponder this. Think about this. Think about this and give me your answer. If coronavirus is the biggest emergency the world has seen in our lifetimes, right? Biggest emergency. I mean, other than the January 6th attack on the Capitol, um, this is the biggest emergency the world has ever seen. This is what we've been told, right? And it's so big that go- the government feels it necessary to suspend our natural rights, our freedom of assembly, our freedom of speech, and so big that they had to put people out of work and shut down businesses, right? So such a big disaster that they had to ruin the economy. Then how come it was not a big enough emergency to suspend pharmaceutical companies' rights to the patents on these miraculous vaccinations so that they could spread the formula around the world everywhere and and the entire world could be manufacturing these vaccines as quickly as possible and getting them into arms and, and saving us all. If it's such an emergency, why not suspend that? I mean, government has violated the entirety of the Bill of Rights in the past year. All of it. Throw it out. If you have Bill of Rights, use it for toilet paper. It's useless. It's not real. You, you don't have any rights, okay? So they've, they've thrown out the Bill of Rights, but they don't think it's necessary to get the formulas of these m- miraculous vaccines into the hands of everyone to manufacturers all over the world? I don't know. That seems a little suspicious. And look, I've been taking a certain generic drug that's supported by zillions of doctors, including the GD inventor of mRNA vaccine technology. That's right. Man who invented the technology supported this drug. I'm not going to say the word because I'm tired of getting banned. But I, since taking this drug, I've flown 10 times. Been in three countries. 
I kiss and hug everyone, whether they want, whether they want me to or not. I just walk up to people. I just lick them on the face and I, and I tweak their nipple and, and I let them cough on me and I'm COVID free. And now I know this is anecdotal, of course, but there was a study done at a hospital that showed a test group of doctors and nurses given the drug had a 0% infection rate. Not 1%, not a 2%, zero infection rate. And the control group who didn't get the medicine had a 56% infection rate. That is off the charts as far as Tesco. It's staggering. That's seriously convincing. So look, I understand not endorsing this drug for prevention. I understand not telling the American people to take it but to ban studies on it and ban discussions on it on YouTube, pulling people off YouTube and Twitter. Man, look, you ain't honest and and I don't trust you. You're a liar. You have ulterior objectives. This is not about health and safety. It's not. And here's the point I'm reaching where I say I'm, I'm done trying to convince people, although I guess I just tried to convince you but I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you about freedom or mandates on vaccines. I'm just, I'm just throwing information out there, right? You think the mandate's good, good, whatever. But the way I see the world now, it, I no longer see people in terms of liberal and conservative. Those terms don't mean shit. They're pretend terms. They don't mean anything. I see the world according to people who believe in individual liberty and freedom as being the core tenets of a healthy and prosperous society for all versus people who believe in forcing others to live how they think they should live. That's what we got. We got people who believe in liberty and freedom, people who believe gays should be allowed to marry, people who believe that you should determine what goes in your body, people who believe everyone should be able to smoke whatever drug they want, people who believe that taxes theft, people who believe in the freedom to worship as they choose, and people who believe in only the freedoms they believe in and forcing everybody else to live according to what they believe. That's it. I, and I just wish the media, I just, can we, I just want to get past all this. I, I'm back now. I'm watching the news again and it's just frustrating. I just, can we just get, move on to, to the new narrative? You know, racism is the real pandemic or global warming is racist and it's going to kill us all or Russia, 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 just something new, man. Anything other than the current COVID fear porn. I mean, come on, CNN. Come on, Joe Biden. Come on, MSNBC. You guys are clever. Let's get on with the next narrative, please. All right, guys. Um, so we're going to get into it with Justin O'Donnell. Dude is a smart guy. He's a libertarian. He ran for Senate. I'm hoping he's going to run again. He taught me some things I didn't know. He, he And he also... Um, gave me a point of view on something that I had not considered, which I think you might find interesting, and I'll let him tell you. Uh, But first, let me tell you again about our sponsor, the Expat Money Show, hosted by Mikkel Thorup. He is the best. Now, I told you the ups and downs of our trip to Panama. I'll tell you this, that man knows his stuff, and it would have been a disaster without his guidance. We hired him to get us through it, to hook us up with the right people. You can do the same. You can contact him on Expat Money Show. And if you're thinking about getting out of Dodge, that's the man to contact. Um, 
Or if you are just into travel as I am, you want to see a new exciting country and and go explore. This guy's been everywhere. He has guests on his show every Wednesday who who have exciting new stories. And look, man, most people travel. They they do what we did for those two days. They go to some resort. Um, And if that's what you like, that's fine. I'm not judging, man. If you want to sit by the pool in another country and sip drinks and, and just hang, that's cool. Do what you do you. But most people do that simply because they don't know what else there is to do. I mean, that it's that simple. Like you get there and you you really don't know what to do. Most people, you know, you spend most of your time home and you might leave the country once every two years. You really don't know what to do. So you sit at the resort, but there's so much out there to do. Expatmoneyshow.com will, will help you have a more adventurous and fun vacation. You come back with stories like the ones I just brought you earlier today. Um, and you'll remember it for your whole life rather than sitting by the pool sipping those those daiquiris. Um, also, he's got a forum on Facebook. Uh, look it up, the Expat Money Show. A lot of interesting chatter going on there. Great show. Okay, so let's get on with it. All right, guys, thanks for joining us today. We have Justin O'Donnell. He's a libertarian who ran for U.S. Senate in 2020 as a libertarian. And in 2017 to 2020, he was a member of the Libertarian National Committee. How you doing, Justin? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming in. Um, so you ran for Senate. That's that's super ballsy. Um, it's uh, running for local office is something I've thought about doing a few times. And then I've talked myself out of it because it's it's crazy. Um, I, I, I'm interested when libertarians who are mostly anti-government, when they run for government, like what was that like? And how, how did you put together a tear it down type of platform without going completely negative? I, it's, it's real hard to not go negative when you want to go tear it down. Um, right. But it, when you change your focus to just talking to people about what actually concerns them, it's real easy to spin things in a positive way instead of like, here's the problem. It's here's what I'm going to do about the problem. And I, I kind of, to be perfectly honest, chose to run for Senate knowing I couldn't win. Right. Um, and it was more of an idea of like, all right, this is going to be an educational campaign. Somebody has to run for Senate. It's the top ticket office. And uh, in New Hampshire, it's our ballot access race. So not running it is just giving up for the Libertarian Party. And even though I'm an anarchist, I do see the Libertarian Party as the best vehicle moving forward to try and affect change in a positive manner. And so I want to work to help grow the Libertarian Party. And the best way I could do that was by capitalizing on a platform that could reach a million voters in New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, what was, what was like the crux of your, your platform? Like what was your main issue? It, <laughs> and any campaign, I, I tell people when you go into a campaign, you decide what your issues are going to be, what you're going to campaign on. It all goes out the window. The moment a news story breaks. Sure. Um, I, I wanted to focus on second amendment rights. I wanted to focus on criminal justice reform and ending the drug war. Those were the three things I really wanted to focus on. And then I started campaigning and boom, COVID. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> so it, it kind of more became government lockdowns, 10th amendment, government force, um, and mandate issues that we ended up campaigning on. And once they shut down the schools here in New Hampshire, then it Ugh. really transitioned to educational reform, uh, promoting alternative education uh, shutting down the federal department of education, uh, to incentivize people to spend their money at home. Yeah. I mean, New Hampshire, what, what's the, the, the motto of New Hampshire? Isn't it something about freedom? 
Live free or die. Live, live free or die. <laughs> Yet they, they locked down New Hampshire like everywhere else, and they shut down the schools there? I mean, well, here's the thing. Um, shutting down the schools was one of the best things to possibly happen coming out of COVID, in my opinion. We saw so we we've seen such since the schools have reopened, they've gone to their hybrid models with some online, some in person, mm-hmm. alternating days and minimizing the number of kids. But the actual enrollment numbers have gone way down, where the homeschooling numbers have gone way up. After forcing every parent in the state to homeschool for a year, when it came time to go back, they're like, Yeah, this isn't that bad. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that is, so I have kids and that's, that is one way to put a positive spin on it because, you know, the public school system, let's be real, sucks. And, and we learned in the last year, or at least I learned by having my kids home all year doing it on zoom. I learned that it sucks. Like they learn more from me at dinner, literally at, at our dinners together where we, where we talk about things, they learn more from that than, than public school. So the fact that more parents are becoming aware of that and, and homeschooling kids is a, is a good thing in my opinion. However, they're not decreasing taxes for no you know, enrollments going down. So, you know, that's a, that's a lose. That's a loss for you. Maybe um, here in New Hampshire, just coincidentally, conveniently, just a, a couple of years ago, the state house had passed a bunch of laws about education reform and education funding reform. And the education commissioner here in New Hampshire is a very libertarian guy. He's been endorsed by the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance when he ran for governor against Chris Sununu to try and primary him before Sununu made him the education commissioner. Frank Edelblatt um, started promoting these education savings accounts, which allow parents to get their tax money back to fund their child's education if they're pulled out of the public school system. Oh, no kidding. That's terrific. That's wonderful. Yeah. That that's wonderful. That that will we're in California. That'll never happen. Never happen. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm I'm currently I, I'm engaged with a um uh a charity called Let Them Breathe, um about letting our kids in school have the option of masking or not because there's really there's no you know if we're if we're following the science there's no science to suggest number one that this is much of a threat to children or that children can pass it on to teachers. And even if they could, the teachers can be vaxxed. And beyond that, there's not much science suggesting that masks do one bit of good yet. There's plenty, there's plenty of evidence showing that masking children is psychologically damaging to them. I mean, suicide is off the charts and, and depression and all that. So um, what are they, what are they doing about masking in New Hampshire? What's your position on masking? And I guess my bigger question is, um, Libertarians, I assume you're fighting this stuff as as yep. most libertarians, right? We have to make what I've seen is as I'm trying to make this this claim in this fight in California is that people think I'm a dick, right? Like, <laughs> you seem like you're being a stubborn, selfish dick. That's how they they frame it. And we've got to find a way to make the case that fighting for this freedom is the best for all of society. So how do you how do you spin that? Because that is that is reality. You know, freedom, freedom for me, freedom for you. That's what's best for society. How do you, uh, how do you, spin I'm going to actually use this as a perfect example of why the United States is too big of a country. Uh, the culture of California and the culture of New Hampshire are so dramatically and vastly different that for us to have the same governance is absurd because people in New Hampshire have 
different cultural values than the people in California. We, we're just set up differently and we live our lives differently. 100%. We have the most accessible legislature in the world. Uh, it is the most representative legislative body in the world. Each of our state reps represents less than 1200 people. Wow. Uh, we have over, we have 400 state reps. I have 35 to 40 state reps. I don't actually know the, the number text, uh, cell phone numbers. I can text them at any time. Wow. Uh, when I go to when I go to testify on bills at the state house, it's on a first name basis with half the state reps, and that's across party lines. One of some of my best friends in the state house are Democrats, not even Republicans or Liberty Republicans. But one of the things about that is when legislation does pass overwhelmingly in New Hampshire, it's indicative of popular support because people are here. The legislators are hearing directly from their constituents because they live in those neighborhoods. It's not like big, vast legislative districts like you have in California, where a state senate district is bigger than most congressional districts. It's bigger than my state. Sure. Uh, in California, here our representatives live in our neighborhoods, and we know them on a personal level. And it's a part-time legislature. They get paid a hundred bucks a year. I see two of my state reps down at Seven Eleven every morning for coffee. We have those conversations. Really? So this year, our legislature voted overwhelmingly, and the governor signed into law prohibitions on those mandates. There is wow. no, there, there can never be another mask mandate. There can never be another lockdown in New Hampshire. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so I mean, it sounds like you're making the case for you know returning returning the rule of law back to the state, which is what the Constitution set us up to do, and we're not doing that. But that, and that's great, and I agree with that 100. percent But that's a that's a hypothetical that's probably not coming anytime soon. Unfortunately so, not. <laughs> yeah. So so when we're looking at the present moment, right, we're out here in California or you're in New York mm-hmm. and we're coming across these kind of these kind of uh, draconian mandates, um, you know, absolute authoritarian reign. Like, how do you how do you talk with your neighbor? How do you talk with your friend to talk about the importance of of freedom of choice in these areas and not seem like a dick? I mean, it really does come down to a freedom of choice. And, and you tell people, it's like, I don't want to wear a mask. That doesn't mean you don't have to wear one. If you want to wear one, you're free to wear one. Um, if a it, One of the big issues I have with libertarians is trying to argue them that, like, just because a store wants you to wear a mask in the store doesn't mean you can go in and say, oh, no, screw you. Like, private property is still private property. Sure. You can take your business and shop elsewhere if you don't want to wear a mask in the store. But yeah. when there's a mandate involved, when the government says everyone has to wear a mask, then you don't know what the business owner and the property owner actually want. Right. Then there, there's no indication if the property owner actually wants people to wear masks on their property or if they're just complying with the law under the, the threat of people with guns taking away their business license. Right. Uh, so, so it really is a difficult conversation to have because it's never a conversation of complete information. You don't know where everyone's coming from. You don't know where everyone stands. And opinions can shift as drastically as the evidence on whether or not masks work. Yes. Um, to me, I, I don't wear a mask, not because I don't believe they don't work. I, I'm sure they work a little bit. The thing is, like, the masking, the social distancing, and, like, the just general advice to clean your hands – it absolutely eradicated the seasonal flu. Whether or not it did anything to help with COVID this year, we don't know. We don't know if that it's effective against that virus because the science keeps coming out and the evidence keeps coming out alternating. Like, yes, it's effective. No, it's not. Sorry, we lied. It's effective. Oh, we were just trying to save on supplies. Yeah. We don't actually know because the information is coming from a body with a huge history of lying, yes. especially about medical uh, science. So it's untrustworthy at best but like the evidence is very clear that seasonal flu was eradicated are you sure about that or i mean i i know the numbers 
I know the numbers for flu are down, right? But are we are we positive the numbers for flu were down or that some of these didn't just get reclassified as COVID because of the financial incentive by hospitals to classify things as COVID? There was no financial incentive for hospitals to classify things. Well, I you get it. My, I my work in wife, the medical industry. I, I'm an insurance underwriter as a living. And in fact, hospitals lose money on COVID. Um, they might get higher claim reimbursements, but the cost of the tests they have to do to be able to classify it for COVID eats all that up. They do Most, get more reimbursement. I, I know they get that. So you're saying yeah. that the cost offsets the reimbursement. Correct. And the, the real problem should be the fact that those costs are being underwritten by the U.S. government and taxpayer money because the insurance companies were broke to begin with. The Affordable Care Act has bankrupted almost every insurance company in this country. They do not operate as for-profit organizations anymore. But a lot of people outside the medical industry don't realize how close to becoming overwhelmed the U.S. medical system is by the seasonal flu every year. Right. No, yeah. Yeah, I work in the healthcare industry, so <laughs> yeah. does my wife. And, and yeah, every, every, every winter, everything ramps up and we don't, we, we don't pay any attention to it. For whatever reason, we decided this, this emergency takes precedence over all other emer- emergencies in our history. Right. Um, and it's just hard to trust any of the information coming at us. Now, yeah, back to masks. I carry one with me at all times because you never know who's going to require it and who's not. If someone wants me to put it on, I put it on like you. I believe it probably does a little bit how much I don't know, but I think most, most of my friends, at least most people in my circle don't want to wear a mask, but they do it and they don't challenge anything, not because they disagree with it, but because they don't want to be frowned upon or they don't want to be confrontational. And that's why cancel culture has been so effective. People don't want confrontation. They don't want to be a pariah. So they just go along with things. Well, if you just keep going along and going along and going along, slowly you're just giving up everything till it's all gone. Well, I made a point um, the other a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. Like the fear of confrontation amounts to tacit endorsement. If you're not willing to challenge things that you don't agree with, then you're de facto endorsing them because an idea that goes unchallenged gets adopted as doctrine. Um, for example, I went down to Boston a week or so ago to go to a Red Sox game. Not because I'm particularly invested in going to the Red Sox game. I'm a Red Sox fan, born and bred in Massachusetts. Sorry Love about the team. That. Um, I always think it's a waste <laughs> of goddamn money. But the Red Sox announced that the stadium is going to be open at full capacity with no mask requirement and no social, social distancing requirement. And I'm like, I'm going to go support that. Support that, the, right. While the city of Boston is saying, no, rah, 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 mask is wave two, Delta variant. The Red Sox is like, we don't give a fuck. We're selling tickets. I'm like, sweet. I'm going to a Red Sox game. Sure. Uh, on the MBTA, I took the, I took the train in. And on the green line, switched over. Uh, all of a sudden, the operator starts spamming a button. And it just, on the announcements, you must wear a mask to ride MBTA vehicles. Mm, you must right. wear a mask to ride MBTA vehicles. And on the orange line, I took two trains in the orange line before I switched to the green. On the orange line, not a single goddamn person wearing a mask. No announcement. Nobody gave a shit. I switch over to the green line. The operator spamming that, and I see people take out their masks and put them on. Yep. No. No. No consistency whatsoever. <laughs> I yeah. refuse. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Fuck this shit. The person I was with, a good friend of mine, took out his mask and put it on. He just looked at me. I'm like, nope, not fucking happening. And it gets yeah. to a point where the operator comes on. He's like, we're not moving the train unless you put a mask on. And I just yell out. There's 350 people in the car. The mask doesn't mean shit. Right. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's no, yeah. You, there's no consistency to the messaging and 
that that makes it even harder to trust the message, right? When they can't, right. when nobody can get on the same page with it. And then what makes it hard for me to trust, right? Is number one, Fauci's changed everything a hundred times and they're saying, well, the science is changing, but then you, you read his emails and you see not so much that the science is changing. He's just changing to whatever is politically convenient mm-hmm. at the time. But you've yet to hear him come out and talk about uh, being healthy, uh, eating healthy, exercising, losing weight, building your own immune system. They never mention that. And then, you know, th- there's there's been some research to come out and a, a group of knowledgeable doctors, including the doctor who invented mRNA technology, who support drugs like ivermectin. Right. And never heard of this drug. Uh, once once this came started coming out on podcast, I did some research. I got the drug, started taking the drug. Um, I've traveled three times. I've, I've gone to Panama. I've gone to Tennessee. I've gone three different places taking this drug. Anecdotal evidence, but it's it's protected me. I give it to my wife. It protects her at work in a hospital. Yet if it's not so much that he won't mention the drug or nobody will mention the drug. It's that if you share your story about this drug, or if you bring up this drug on any platform, you get banned. Like, how am I supposed to trust your information when you're controlling what information we can talk about? Right. They controlled so much. And a lot of it's published on NIH, like NIH publishes all their research studies on NIH.gov. And I've developed a habit this year of every week going to check out new COVID related studies. Um, How boring that is. Well, it started, it it actually started out of one of my favorite Twitter jokes of all time. I had tweeted out of the blue. I'm like, cocaine kills COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And people just start piling on to me. It's like, and like that, that's, that's just fake news. That's false information. You have no evidence of that. I'm like, yeah, that's I'm funny. A, but they said that about marijuana in the beginning, right? Um, well, I'm just like, oh, I'm going to find some goddamn evidence to cocaine kills COVID. <laughs> and I start digging and try to find it. And I find out the doctors in France were provis- uh, prescribing levimisol as a prophylactic for COVID. And oh, it was wow. showing success in preventing COVID. And I'm like, well, 80% of the cocaine in North America is cut with levimisole. So yeah, here's this NIH study that shows that cocaine kills COVID. And people on my Twitter are just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. But that's, that's not any more ridiculous than many of the things that have been right. passed around as both information or, or misinformation as, as part of the problem. Right. I mean, they really did. They really were saying for a while that marijuana can protect you against COVID. Like that was something that was popular opinion for about a month. So who knows? The point is, you should be able to to discuss it. You should be able to have a conversation that uh, doctors say or somebody said cocaine cures COVID. Right. You should be able to talk about it. All these things should be available to discuss. They shouldn't be controlling any message. Once you start controlling the messaging and controlling what is safe to talk about, the information becomes not trustable in its entirety. Um, No, I pissed a lot of people off. There's one NIH study I found while doing this that I keep going back to. uh, And the title was T-cell response in convalescent COVID patients recognizes variations of the uh, viral variations. And after reading it, I find out like, They've been studying people who had COVID and recovered for their immunity to variations, including the alpha and beta variants, uh, formerly known as the Brazil and English variants, and finding that people who had uh, developed COVID and had a natural immunity 
were their T cells were able to recognize any variants of COVID and they had a sustained natural immunity to any variants. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding out, and now we're seeing breakthrough cases of the Delta variant overcoming the vaccine. Sure. So I'm like, well, if I had COVID, why the shit should I get a vaccine? (laughs) That's, that's another big sticking point is that they, they are insisting on people who had it, who had COVID and recovered And, and anybody with any kind of science degree or Education and science knows that if you get something, you build antibodies to it. You you should be protected against it. That should work better than the vaccine. Yet they're still telling these people to get vaccinated and not even considering the possibility that they might not need it. That makes well, it's not hundred percent. There's yeah. plenty. There's plenty of things out there you can get infected to, and you can develop a short term immunity, and your uh, antibodies can fade over time. Sure. The thing is, they keep testing people with convalescent COVID immunity, and they're finding that well, it's been at least a year. Now. It was at least six months. It's been at least a year, and yeah. it's, it's it's outpacing the vaccine as far as effectiveness. Yes, and it is. There, I have seen. Maybe, it's lasting longer. It's yeah, lasting I've, longer. I've seen maybe two cases uh, publicized. Of, of reinfection. I think Nick Saban was the big one. Nick Saban got COVID twice and it blew everyone's mind. Uh, and he was the only big name. But every time you see a big name now, a celebrity getting diagnosed with COVID is saying, even though they were vaccinated. Right. So the breakthrough cases are far outpacing reinfection. Right. And right. the whole idea behind mRNA technology is that it's actually a gene therapy that modifies how your body produces antibodies and T cells. And it's going to like affect the way your body produces those antibodies to tailor them to the specific, like sure. there's a suggestion that the vaccine might make your natural convalescent immunity worse. Yes. Well, it's not actually a vaccine. So calling it a vaccine right. is, is the wrong word to use because yeah, it, it, it's supposed to help you build antibodies to that specific uh, disease. Well, now we have variants, so it's no longer specific. That's, that's how I'm interpreting it. I'm not an expert, but it, it's not effective against the Delta. We know that. So yeah. that seems, that seems to be right. So uh, mentioning uh, Panama, we went to Panama. We're actually looking at expatriating. I guess this is a good time to plug Mikel Thorup, um, who does the expat money show. He's helping us do this. Um, we started the process, but we we're in Panama. One very disappointing thing I found in Panama is that they seem even more paranoid than, than America about this. And they have even, they, well, they had less at the time I was there, less COVID, yet they're more paranoid. And you watch the TV, and the only news they get is CNN. They get CNN, <laughs> and, and the messaging on their CNN is CNN Latin. It's a thousand times more intense than here. So it seems like the American narrative, the de- American democratic narrative, the authoritarian narrative is kind of taking over the whole world. Like the same way we take over the whole world with our, our military, we're our doing money. that with our, and our money, we're doing that with <laughs> our narrative and it's just ruining everywhere. Beautiful places like Panama. Uh, I, I, it scares me because I, part of the idea we wanted to go is we want to escape this madness. There's no escape. Well, there's New Hampshire. There's New Hampshire for now, for now, (laughs) right? Like for now, like what, what is this government going to do from a federal level? Do you, does that concern you? Uh, it, it, a lot of this, I, one of the best things to come out of the Trump presidency for me was governors developing a goddamn backbone. Um, and it started on the left with Democrat governors developing a backbone. When Trump said he was going to bring all the troops home and redeploy them to the border to do border security, the governor of Oregon said, the shit you will. Right. And she announced she was going to refuse the deployment of the Oregon National Guard to the border. Yeah, and, and that was the first time 
like in my life, a governor has stood up to the president and just said no. Um, and it, it, it broke the barrier and like showed yeah. like it's possible. You well, can now do we it. got DeSantis doing it, right? So no, you had DeSantis do it. You had Christy Nome doing it. Now yeah. I, I don't want to defend Christy Nome as a libertarian or DeSantis. Neither one of them are libertarian by a mile, but they they took that and started standing up. Chris Sununu's yeah. standing up to Biden here in New yeah. Hampshire. Um, when historically we used to joke that Sununu had no backbone, he would do whatever Charlie Baker did, the Republican governor of Massachusetts. Would, uh, Massachusetts would lead the way, but they're kowtowing to Biden, and Sununu finally developed a backbone and said no. Yeah, that's great. That is that is terrific. You're right. And you're, you're right. They're far from being libertarian or, or protecting liberty. But we got to I feel like libertarians need to be less concerned with purity tests these days because we're kind of <laughs> in a crisis. Like when you see someone standing up for a principle of liberty, you got to right. shout that out. And DeSantis has been doing that and some other governors have been doing that. So I applaud that and I'll, I'll get behind that. Um, going to the national stage like that kind of feels right now like um, we're setting up, we're setting the stage for like Trump versus Kamala in 2024, which I mean, that's just so cringe. Everything about that is cringe. That, that's a disaster. And it seems like if any point in history, that should be the time where a third party candidate can not just make some noise, but actually win. Like we're always talking about in the Libertarian Party and the Green, Green Party talks about it, like building a national presence, right? And, and that's great. But, you know, I'm 48. I'm getting older. We're all getting older. Like at some point we got to we got to win. If it's Kamala versus Trump, is there anyone any party can put up that can challenge and actually win? Like Cohen, I've got my reasonings for thinking um, when I said I ran for Senate knowing I couldn't win. I knew I couldn't win. I don't think right. I don't think U.S. Senate is a winnable race for a libertarian or any third party candidate outside of a few key cases like Vermont, Maine, and Rhode Island states that have done it. Um, here in New Hampshire, politics is just too entrenched. Like, like the the downside to New Hampshire is everybody in New Hampshire has met presidential candidates. It's uh, everyone cares about politics. Um, so when partisanship gets involved in that, you're never going to get a third party uh, win. I think that's the case in most states for things like Senate and Congress and even governor. However, the presidency is kind of a unique animal. Uh, the presidency is something where national momentum matters, and it's not just a plurality election. The Electoral College does give an opportunity uh, for someone to split that race three ways and a compromise candidate to come out of it. Uh, I think in order to do that, it's not a wonk. It's not just an Amash. It's not somebody who's going to get up there and speak to principles and uh, be a principled, pragmatic libertarian and be the uh, smart choice between these two because that's not going to excite people. Mm -hmm. It needs to be somebody who's going to develop a movement, somebody who's a charismatic and exciting public speaker. Who that's what get, Trump was, right? That's what Trump was. He was just a terrifying, yeah. <laughs> charismatic public right. speaker. But somebody who can like engender actual true grassroots uh, grassroots support behind them uh and the world is so much different than it was in the 90s in, in the 90s ross perot did it with a few million dollars and a tv skit right. nowadays we have social media to capitalize on we have our own homegrown media to capitalize on yes. we have the libertarian party already has the infrastructure to support 50 state ballot access which after ross perot did what he did the republicans and democrats said we're gonna make this cost money now mm-hmm um, so, but we have developed that infrastructure to do so. And I think a candidate like Spike Cohen, Spike Cohen hmm? could yeah. do it. It's whether or not his wife, Tasha will let him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I've had Spike on a couple of yeah. times. I, I, 
I think he was great. I think he should have been the face of the party last time around. I had Joe Joe Jorgensen on as well, but she just didn't she just didn't bring the same like liberty force during during the lockdowns. Like it was all like Here, here's the crazy thing about Spike is that he did come out of nowhere. He he was a nobody who came out of nowhere and built that level of support. Yeah, he's not a nobody anymore order. though. He's right. he's got a big following now. And one of the things the 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 liberty movement has going for it is podcasts, right? Like every other podcast out there now is a libertarian podcast. So we might not ever get that mainstream coverage. Um, but I don't know how important that is anymore. Like who's watching CNN and Fox news anymore. How many people, uh, there are more people listening to podcasts than are watching CNN and Fox news. That's just a fact. So you can build a movement that way. So but I agree there, with you. There, like, there are YouTube channels that have a higher daily reach than CNN. Yeah, and they want to clamp down on that because it's a, a threat to their their power and their their pocketbook, right? So they they are trying to clamp down on that. Like they talk about that when they see that uh, somebody on YouTube is getting uh, ten million views, they talk about that like that's a, a tragedy or there's a problem with that, rather than reflecting upon themselves and what the message they're putting out there, right? Yeah. Like this message that this YouTuber is putting out is resonating with the people. Maybe we should take a look at that. Or no, maybe we should just try to squash it and keep giving our state propaganda. I joked with Spike once that I thought he did a disservice to Liberty by running as Vermin's running mate. Um, Not not anything against Vermin. I actually like Vermin. I know him. I've been to his home. uh, And I do a lot of stuff with him. But but he's goofy. goofy. And he overshadows anyone else in his sphere of influence. And, And like by attaching Spike to Vermin, it wasn't Vermin and Spike. It was the Vermin show. Yeah. And yeah. though that guy running his vermin sidekick, um, yeah. I remember watching the the night it clicked for me. I was watching the vice presidential debate on uh, that was I, I've, John. I think Stossel was moderating it, the a vice presidential debate. And I had gone with a few friends to. We have a, a libertarian clubhouse here. We had a nice big um, forty foot projector screen. We put it up there, watch it, and I'm lounging back and go to tweet. I'm like, this is gonna be boring as shit. I'm like. I know half the people in here personally. I love them. John Mons is an incredible guy. John Phillips, great guy. This is going to be boring. And then Spike starts answering questions. I'm like, who the hell is that? Like, oh, it's Vermin's running mate. I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, why isn't he running for president? Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's funny. He's charming. He, he hits He hits all the liberty messages. He, he's yeah. he's terrific. And I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I, I love Dave Smith. I love who he is. I love the message he gets out there. But if I think if we really want to have any shot at winning, there's just too much dirt on Dave Smith for him to to. No, get nobody's nobody's even asked Dave Smith if he wants to run for president. Well, he's kind of hinted at it quite a bit. I'm saying okay. I had a, I had a conversation or two with him leading up to Porkfest and at Porkfest, where at one point uh, I think he said the words of these assholes are going to make me run for president. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I love the guy and if, if he runs her be great, but I just, I just see the, the media just, you know, he's it, between his two podcasts, there's just too much dirt on him, things they can pick up on, but that's, that's getting in the weeds. Um, what, something I want to ask you about, um, we like we're headed down, uh, uh, getting to a point in America where, where liberal or conservative doesn't, seem to mean much. It's like, I'm starting to divide people according to people who believe in freedom and people who don't like 
there's liberals and conservative. Most, it seems like most people believe in freedom only so far as the freedoms they agree with, right? Like very few people agree in freedom, whether Nobody they agree for me with, and not for thee. Yes, exactly. Right. That's, that's the expression. And that seems, yeah. that seems very true. So I kind of feel like we're heading into some dark times in America. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about white privilege, but the truth is Americans in general are entitled privileged brats, right? We have easy lives. We're entitled. You go anywhere else in the world, we're entitled. We have it pretty easy. So some of the reason I think we don't fight back against a lot of this nonsense is because we have it so easy. And some dark times could possibly be the first steps in getting people out of their chairs, out of their couch to, to fight against this. Nobody or, happy or ever started faster. a revolution. Right. So that's what I'm asking you. Do, you. do you think this is going in a path where people are going to start fighting back or do you think we're doomed? Um, I, I don't ever want to say we're doomed. Um, here's the thing. I, I'm not necessarily sure it gets solved in a ballot box. Yeah. I, I'm not necessarily sure it ever gets solved in a peaceful manner because you're right. It might take dark times for people to wake up and decide they want their liberty and they want their freedom back. Um, my, my stepfather is a lifelong Republican very traditional conservative and last summer i was talking to him as covid started coming up and he's like starting to come around he's like you know what i think i see a course where this ends in the balkanization of north america in the next 15 years that's interesting and, and, and we're looking at the way they're trying to push the dollar to collapse right now and that's the only thing holding this country together it seems like they're they're almost on purpose trying to collapse the dollar doesn't it uh, on purpose or in gross negligence or ineptitude, I don't know, but it's going to have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what they're doing with like Bitcoin in El Salvador right now, it looks like they're trying to do to it's Bitcoin awesome. what they've already done to the dollar. Um, I wouldn't call it awesome. Bitcoin in El Salvador is a terrible thing for cryptocurrency. Why? Well, I'm, I guess I'm not familiar. What's going on? Uh, the government of El Salvador is forcing every single merchant in the country to accept Bitcoin, which okay. is the antithesis of what Bitcoin stands for, sure. government force. Right. They're also forcing everyone to use a custodial wallet in exchange. So if they want to trade things out for fiat and U.S. dollars, they can only do it through the government's wallet and the government's oh, exchange. That's no good. So, and they're using a uh, lightning network, which is a third party uh, payment layer. So the government will be able to censor anybody whose wallet they disagree with. So in other words, government's trying to co-opt Bitcoin and the, the whole point of Bitcoin is the freedom that that could be going bye-bye. Bitcoin was the greatest weapon ever made to challenge central banking and central banking got their hands on it. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that, but I mean, can they, they, they can't completely control it. I mean, I'll be able to, in that geographic area, They're, they'll be able to completely dominate the economy of that country. And it's all going to be in the hands of a president who not a week before the vote to make Bitcoin, the legal tender of the country had marched troops into parliament to de- demand an increase to his police budget. Hmm. But isn't isn't there channels through cryptocurrency where things can be done anonymously? So doesn't that rob a not government like that of it? Not with Bitcoin, but other cryptos. Yeah, no. So Alex you, Winter, Alex Winter, um, of fame as Ted in the Bill and Ted movies, uh, has a phenomenal TED talk about internet privacy, security, encryption, and stuff. He does, and at one point he's like, Bitcoin is a revolutionary technology, and some of the dumbest people in the world use Bitcoin to buy drugs because Bitcoin is less private than the u.s dollar 
the yeah. whole purpose of Bitcoin is it's an immutable public ledger. You can see every single transaction on it. Yeah, They're- well, you can't. I mean, people think they can they can get away with not paying taxes through Bitcoin, but the 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 government can track every single transaction made. Like that's that's not a reality right now. But there are cryptos where it is more anonymous, right? Uh, so, so Monero, so Monero, Monero yeah. has Monero has a multi-layer encryption uh, built into it. Uh, the government claims they've cracked Monero's uh, encryption, but the actual effort they would need to put into tracking down an address is more computing power than the NSA has. They've just done the math out to figure mm-hmm. out how to do it. Um, Zcash is working on implementing zero knowledge proofs to their uh, encryption in one zero knowledge proof is solved. Uh, their encryption will survive quantum computing, so it'll be their shielded transactions will be truly private. Nobody will ever be able to see them, and even Bitcoin Cash. Which I was going to ask not, you about Bit- Bitcoin Cash. I saw that you you support that. So what's the difference between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin? Uh, one's usable. <laughs> so it, w- with the fork of Bitcoin Cash, which the anniversary, forty year anniversary was just a couple days ago, mm-hmm. um, there was a divergence in thought amongst Bitcoin developers and miners about what they wanted Bitcoin to be, uh, whether they wanted to keep the small one megabyte block size, which made it really difficult and slow and expensive to process transactions, but kept the value really high in terms of US dollars, or if they wanted to fork it off into a new coin which increased the block size, made transactions really fast, really cheap to process, but might have diminished the value a little bit because it wasn't as difficult to attain. Gotcha. And to me, it comes back to the white paper. Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper when he invented blockchain and developed Bitcoin was he envisioned Bitcoin to be a peer-to-peer electronic cash. Right. And even the maximalist, the Bitcoin people nowadays, like, oh, it's not cash. It's a store of value. It's a well, store of value. Yeah, that's the thing. So Bitcoin cash is, is easier to transact between two people. But I don't think most people investing in Bitcoin today are doing so because of the privacy um, or the, the ease of use. They're doing so as a speculation. That They're doing so because Robin Hood told them there was money to be made. Right. Yeah, um, and, and I call those people U.S. dollar maximalists. They don't care about crypto. They care about the dollar value of their portfolio. And True, but some, doesn't everybody to everybody to a degree cares about that, right? So if there's money to be made there, they're they're going to go there. But um, you got to spread it around. Like if if crypto is going to become what we as libertarians want it to become and take down the dollar, you got to support these other ones. I mean, here's the thing: I, the U.S. dollar maximalists will destroy crypto because it's, it's not your everyday typical investor that I'm worried about on Robinhood trying to make $100 a month extra uh, in their investment account. It's people like Jack, CEO of Twitter, who, who pumps and pushes Bitcoin over all others. It's people like Elon Musk who won't consider any of the fungible tokens and he only mm-hmm. cares about Bitcoin, 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 Dogecoin because it's a meme. Yes. And he pumps th- these coins and tokens that don't have utility. They're not serving any purpose in the technological environment. Um, for people like me, I, where I live in New Hampshire is a very, very robust uh, libertarian and anarchist community, a lot of agorism and voluntarism here. And there was actually a Verge article about um, the raid on the Crypto 6 a few weeks ago. And the title was Libertarians Built a Crypto Mecca in New Hampshire. And then the feds tore it down. And I, I want to call that inaccurate because the feds didn't tear it down. I still pay my rent in cryptocurrency. I can still buy oh, wow. my groceries in cryptocurrency. I used Bitcoin Cash to pay uh, for my food bill last night. I used wow. Dash uh, for other things. I paid my rent in Cardano last month. Um, like I... 
live in a community where it is perfectly possible for me to be off the dollar and unbanked. That's and these amazing. places do exist. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, what you're saying is you think people like um, Jack, they're, they're pumping the price to make some money and ultimately then they will bail and return back to dollars or just trying to pocket a dollar and that's ultimately going to bring it down. Is that what you're saying? Right. And I, I think I, I sent out a tweet last night. I went to find it. Dollar value maximalists are trading the momentum of a technological revolution that challenges the status quo of centralized financial systems for short-term investment games valued in state currency. That's what they're doing. They don't care about the future. They care about the now. They care about their own personal net wealth, net worth. And they see this as a way for people they claim as crypto enthusiasts and libertarians to get rich. Well, getting rich doesn't matter if you're stuck inside the same system of oppression. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And getting rich in dollars doesn't matter if the dollar ultimately collapses. And then what? Then what's next? Right. So, and if you want to look at like, if it's about getting rich, I, I try not to look at my accumulation of cryptocurrency in terms of dollars, but they're making it real hard not to with inflation. Sure. And some yes. of my coins were, I bought in because I'm like, oh, this coin's new smart contract feature is incredible. They're going to be able to revolutionize how people tokenize assets at a local level and issue localized currencies. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy a bunch of this. And I bought a bunch of that at a cent uh, yes. a piece. And now it's like a dollar thirty-seven. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's very hard not to get excited about that and look at right. what it's worth, and then that creates momentum, which creates bubbles, right? Which right. is to what you're talking about, where it pumps, and then the people trying to make the money they get out, yeah. and then yeah. So for for example, I bought a million Dogecoin uh, back in 2015 for ninety eight dollars. Because oh, wow. I thought it, I, it was a joke. I wanted to make a joke. I went to Porkfest. I'm like, I'm going to call myself a Dogecoin millionaire. <laughs> yeah. And it got to the point where I still had about 750,000 Dogecoin just sitting in a wallet. And sure. it was worth like it's 40 bucks at one point. Like, I don't care, whatever. Uh, it, it's more of a hassle to trade it into something that it's worth at that be, point. Uh-huh. And uh, then all of a sudden, I get a text from a friend one day. Uh, what do you think about this GameStop? And I don't pay attention to the stock market at all. Like to me, that's people playing with fake money and corporate paper that doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, well, what do you mean GameStop? He's like, yeah, the Reddits are fucking with the stock and it's making people rich. I'm like, I went and look at it. I'm like, Dogecoin's at 70 cents. <laughs> I'm like, what hey, the hell is this? You still had your, your Doge at that point? Yeah. And I log on to my exchange that I used to do trading and I tried to sell my Dogecoin for 70 cents. I'm like, yeah, seven hundred thousand dollars. Like right now, sweet. I got five thousand dollars, and then the order book collapsed because there was no actual demand for the price. And I crashed the price on that exchange from wow. seventy-seven cents to one tenth of a cent in two minutes. Wow, um, that one small tran- transaction did that. Right, and I'm like, oh, that's well, creepy. Shit, screw me. Because uh, it turns out all of that price. So you couldn't get the you couldn't you couldn't get the value. Correct. There was no there was no demand for it. There was no demand wow. for Dogecoin on that exchange. And then like, I looked into it and I found out that like 85% of the volume of trading of Dogecoin was on Robinhood and Robinhood alone. Yeah. And it was just people buying Dogecoin from Robinhood and selling it to Robinhood. They couldn't control it. They don't actually have a They wallet. don't even own it on Robinhood. Right. Yeah. So it was all artificial and fake pricing. And it's stabilized at this point to about 20 cents, but mm-hmm. like... The order book doesn't support it. The coin has no actual value. It's a meme coin. It's an intentionally inflationary meme. Yeah, coin. I mean, ultimately, a coin like Doge becomes worth what it was to start, like point zero zero two or whatever. It's just, right. I don't see the staying power, and and 
the inflationary. I mean, part of the part of the appeal of Bitcoin, at least, is that it's deflationary. Some of these coins, like like Doge, it's more inflationary than the dollar. So where where's the value? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, if I had five coins, if I if I were to tell people to look at five coins, it'd be Bitcoin Cash because of its usability, um, Zcash or Monero uh, for their privacy features, Ethereum because of its settlement network and the right. technology it has. It's really expensive to transact right now, but they are migrating it to Ethereum too, which is going to be proof of stake, and the fees are going to go way down. Um, and Cardano, which is a next generation uh, smart contract system like Ethereum, and then Fox Token. And Fox tokens. Never heard of that one. Yeah, Fox tokens and Ethereum ERC twenty token that was just released by Shapeshift, because Shapeshift was one of the largest decentralized exchanges in the world, and the government kept hammering them about KYC and know your customer laws, and we need tax records for all your transactions. And so Shapeshift said, "Screw you guys, we're going home." They decentralized their whole platform, created a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, and tokenized all their assets and and issued the token for the value of the company. Oh wow. Okay. And I'm so now, that one. yeah, their fees on the Shapeshift and Uniswap are being paid in Fox Token, and Fox Token stakers and holders are able to collect rewards on that. And uh, basically, you can stake for liquidity to an exchange pool to allow people to exchange their tokens back and forth, and you earn a percentage interest on it. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, that uh, that, that sounds like what's going on with, a little bit with KuCoin. Um, let- They're trying. Bitcoin's yeah. trying. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you you know you know a lot more about this stuff than I do. I didn't know this was the direction the conversation was going to take, but that's that's informative, and I'm going to look into that one. I hope uh, some of the listeners will as well. Uh, we're running out of time. I wanted to ask you about one thing that I saw you post yep. on Twitter that that it made me think. It, it, it challenged me. You put out a poll, and uh, I'll just I'll just quote it. You said. Yep. Would you support a constitutional amendment that tied the salaries of congressional representatives to the median individual income for the district they represent at the time of the last census? In other words, should representatives get paid according to the median uh, earning income of their citizens? And I I thought about that. I'm like, hmm. You know, at first instinct, I'm like, no, because those representatives are probably just going to make some BS laws to redistribute funds to the bottom to drive up the median. You said median, not mean, two different things. Right. Um, but then again, if they did that, that would likely hurt the economy overall and decrease jobs, et cetera, and, and bring it down. But that might not happen you know, for 10 years until they're out of office. So I, I'm just interested in how you would answer that question yourself. I don't know. That's why I asked. It, 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 it came up in a conversation I was having with somebody about how can we fix things? How can we recover from more representative? And that's a question I honestly don't know the answer to. And I put it up on Twitter specifically to try and start a debate and get, there's all sorts of great answers in the comments of that poll. Um, and it was I didn't a go lot through closer. them. What's the, yeah, what's it's the a overwhelming... lot closer than I thought it would be. And, and some of them, like the general consensus is that members of Congress are paid way too much. $174,000 plus full benefits, travel expenses, office expenses, and per diem uh, to do that job. It's absolutely insane. And it creates a separate class of people that don't represent their district because they are not their district. Mm-hmm. And so some of it is like, if they're being paid this median income of their district, they are incentivized to work on behalf of their district to yeah. increase the economic standing of their district. So people are making more money, people are better off, and that therefore personally improves their payroll of uh, congressman and then somebody responded to that it was like way to incentivize pork i'm like oh yeah that sucks yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, but, it but, seems like what they what they do when they get in is you know if they're in there for what is it five years they get a, a pension for life so it seems like they true. get in 
That Not is true? An, that is an urban legend myth on Facebook, and Facebook has damned a lot of people for that. Uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of people actually a lot of people actually do get the pension for life, not because they served in Congress for five years, but because anytime served in Congress counts towards your federal work time for your federal pension. So anybody who was in the military for 18 years and then gets elected to Congress after two years in Congress, they'll have reached the 20 years to fully vest their pension. Interesting. So you're saying you don't get a pension after working in, in the Senate or Congress. No, there's no, no pension. For you, you. you contribute to it, but you have to serve a minimum of eight years um, before your federal pension is vested enough to collect. Okay. Eight years. Uh, yeah. Eight years. And then you collect like 10%. It's mm. 20 years to collect the hundred percent. Okay. I didn't know that. It's the exact same pension program every single federal employee is eligible for. Now, we can talk about how that's a problem because postal workers are bankrupting this country in their retirement. Um, but uh, it, a lot of the people well, who fe- I mean, for it, federal jobs in general are bankrupting correct. the country. I mean, just look, just look at, you know, uh, 9-11, um, the, the bloated bureaucracy that was created to protect us from terrorism. Um gigantic right now we've kind of neutralized the threat or the perceived threat of terrorism they're not going to deconstruct that bloated infrastructure they built and get rid of all those jobs and lay those people off and give that money back to the taxpayers they're going to take that whole infrastructure that whole apparatus and now turn it around on us for you know white supremacy or whatever they're saying right because because once they start a government program it never goes away ever so we've continued to drive up the size of government for the last 250 years. And, it, and there's never been a time when we've dialed it back. And I don't see that time ever coming. Never. Well, it's up to the people. And here's another reason for you to move to New Hampshire. We talked about how <laughs> it's going to take dark times for people to want their liberties. I, I don't believe it's going to be voted away or dealt with at the ballot box because people have been incentivized to just like go with the flow of that shit. Um, there is a particular piece of law uh, that is one of the longest standing and oldest laws in this country. It's in a document called the New Hampshire Constitution that actually predates the U.S. Constitution. And I'm going to read it to you verbatim. Government being instituted for the common benefit, protection, and security of the whole community, and not for the private interest or emolument of any one man, family, or class of men. Therefore, whenever the ends of government are perverted and public liberty manifestly endangered, and all other means of redress are ineffectual, the people may and of right ought to reform the old and establish new government, thus enshrines the right to revolution. Okay, that was terrific, but you got to dumb that down. (laughs) The New Hampshire Constitution specifically protects and specifically names the right to revolution. That's exciting. Um, (laughs) That's exciting. But what what becomes of that? Right. Like you might be the only guy. I've never heard anybody quote that before. (laughs) Until the balkanization of North America, where there is no federal government anymore, when that when we get to a laboratory of fifty state governments, um, each competing for best practices, the New Hampshire state government will be the one state government with a constitutional provision that makes its politicians afraid of a citizen revolt at all times. That's that's great. They should be afraid. You know that they're not going to serve us unless they're afraid of us, right? I ruffled like, some feathers on motivating. Twitter. Yeah, I ruffled some feathers on Twitter the other day when I said the greatest thing to come out of the Trump presidency was that we're getting public hearings where cops are in tears about how afraid they were of peaceful people. Well, that's just the thing. (laughs) That's just the thing, 
right? The, the conservatives at the moment have kind of co-opted liberty. Um, but as soon as you say something against the cops, then, then suddenly they're off the liberty train. Like cops are the enforcement arm of the state and they abuse mm-hmm. power all the time. It's not saying cops are not good people. They are. Uh, but power gets abused every time. Uh, uh, yeah. I've talked about how great New Hampshire is a lot. I have to, I at least have to admit one of the bad things. Um, our, the city of Manchester, the city I live in, the police department put up a job posting on Facebook last night and under they, I swear to God, I'll verbatim. It said, including unique and uh, unique benefits such as qualified immunity. And then later on where they listed benefits like health insurance. That's a, that's a benefit of the job. It is a benefit yeah. of the job. Uh, yeah. The, and then they listed it again under the actual benefits like health insurance, 401k, mm-hmm. PTO, yeah. qualified immunity. Yeah. Vacation, we should all have sick that. Time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I see this on Twitter, on Facebook. I'm like, what the flying like, holy, what screenshot, copy link. I put it on Twitter, and then I would have put it in the Free State Project jobs board. I shared the <laughs> link to for right. Free Staters to get to. And um, within three hours, they had like 40,000 comments of people just eviscerating the Manchester Good. police. Good. And around like midnight, they took it down and replaced it with a post where the police chief apologizing, saying this was an inappropriate place to talk about qualified immunity. We do apologize. We'll be better. And even that post oh, right really? now is like, will you do better by getting rid of getting qualified rid of immunity? Yeah, no, they will won't. You- <laughs> no, they it's won't. like because our current police chief is the police chief because the last police chief resigned. And the reason the last police chief resigned was in a scandal because we had a cop who got caught red-handed planting evidence on a black teenager. Um, and then they confiscated his department phone and on his, de- his police department cell phone was sending texts bragging about planting evidence on this kid. So and he's joking about shooting BLM protesters. Jesus. So he abuses um, his power and he's an idiot. And these are the yeah. kind of people we want. Um, the chief or freedom. The chief fired him said, you're off none of this shit. We don't want you on the force. And the union sued and got him his job back. Wow. Yep. Unions are definitely a problem. I can, I can tell you that with the, the teachers union out here. I mean, it's unreal. Now you talked to the last thing, cause I, I definitely have to go. Um, you've been great. You talk about the Balkan. I want to end on this. You talk about the Balkanization of America, which is a beautiful idea. And I, you know, I posted recently and brought up on the podcast, how wouldn't it be beautiful if instead of fighting with each other, all 50 States could govern the way they want. We could, we could let, let the free market determine where people wanted to live and what worked and what didn't, wouldn't that be wonderful? But the the reality, it would be wonderful, but the reality is not going to happen. No chance of that happening unless, unless people fight for it. Unless we put some people who believe in Liberty in power. I think I think it's the exact opposite. I think you put one of the most unlibertarian people possible in power. You reelect Donald Trump in 2024. California passes secession and overwhelming majority on the ballot, and that just <laughs> triggers a wave. <laughs> I think that's a that's a that's a a pipe dream. Secession and California doing secession. No, no, the, the federal government and the the mil. If that happened. You don't think Donald Trump would declare war on California? You think he'd let oh, him? Oh, absolutely not. He would gloat. He'd be like, ha ha, the Democrats just lost two senators. You think? Yeah. 
Well, that that'd be tremendous. If if I if I heard that come out of Donald Trump's mouth, I'd I'd vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, because here's the thing: secession has always been a right wing thing in this country. It's always been Republicans in Texas talking about secession. Sure. It's always been Republicans sure. in New Hampshire. And you're right, Oregon and California. We're talking about that the last time around. And but the talk- last time around, it was Oregon and California, and yeah. the Cal Exit is collecting the petitions. The Cal Exit people, from what I heard, got it like audited by the state supreme court and the california court said yeah that's constitutional you can put it on the ballot really and they're going to have secession on the ballot in california and i think it won't like based Wait, on the timeline we're, we're going to have that on our ballot secession I, yeah i don't think it'll be for a few years because they're collecting signatures and stuff right now uh but like if donald trump's reelected in 2024 and there's a chance that secession is on the ballot right after donald trump gets reelected, i think california will pass it I, I I think they would pass that. I just can't see the federal government allowing that. But that that sounds like a beautiful plan. I mean, wouldn't have to. I'd I like mean, to the federal, see some federal government could say no. But when California passes it, and then the governor of Texas declares it by edict the next day, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's an exciting thought. That's not something I've considered, but that's yep. that's pretty exciting. That is that is an easier pathway to what libertarians want than. Uh, getting libertarians elected and pushing this stuff through legislation. Yeah. That's a now, much I'm not saying vote for Donald Trump. Like kind of, yeah, you <laughs> kind of are. <laughs> uh, it, it pains me to say that, but I will leave it on this. Like Donald Trump is objectively without a doubt, the best president in my lifetime because I'm 31 and he is the only president in my lifetime who has not started a new war. Yeah. I can't argue that. Well, I mean, Jimmy Carter, right? Not my lifetime. But. Oh no! Oh man, <laughs> you're a lot younger than me. That's my yeah. lifetime. But yeah, I, I made that. I made that same point. Like I, I did a yeah. ranking of the presidents in my lifetime. I had Donald Trump at number three, right? And that. Yeah. And if you say that out loud, it it gets people going one way or the other. It gets people going. But that's just yeah. that's just reality. Like he didn't do many great things. He didn't did very no, not for lack stuff. of effort. But not for lack of effort. He did assassinate an Iranian general and somehow avoided starting a war. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Two great things he did. He didn't start a war. That's that's beautiful. He didn't start a war. And he got a lot of people uh, thinking about the idea of liberty. He really did. I don't think he intended to, but he got people thinking about that just because of what unraveled with COVID. Right. Not in the same way Ron Paul did, but almost the same effect. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for your time, man. That was great. And, and I hope you run again and uh, um, you, 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 you got a lot of knowledge and you, and uh, you get communicate a message effectively and we need people like you running. I'm not going to do it. We need people like you. Doing it. So yeah. Thank we'll you. We'll see. All right. Thanks for having right, me. Take care. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Where, where can people find you? Oh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at O'Donnell for NH. I still haven't changed that. Probably won't. Um, or I got a full link tree, Cointree. Uh, so C-O-I-N-T-R dot E-E uh, backslash Justin O'Donnell. That page has links to my Facebook, Twitter, all my social media, my merch store at snackswag.com uh, and my show O'Donnell for Liberty on YouTube, Odyssey and Twitch. Awesome. All right, Justin. Thank you. No problem.